Good morning. If you will, take your Bibles, please. And we're actually going to read a few scriptures today, and I would like everybody to um, participate and read along with me. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to read verses 33 to 35. Okay, so if you will, uh, read along with me out loud, starting at verse 33 in chapter 3 of Proverbs. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. And then if you'll turn to the uh, right to Proverbs chapter 14. We'll read verse 1 together. Proverbs 14, 1. Let's begin. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And one more, if you'll turn to the left, to Psalms 127. Psalms 127, and we'll read verse 1 together. Okay, let's begin. Verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. And if you um, will turn to Psalm 84. You need not read aloud with me, but I will read verses 1 through 4. Psalms 84, verses 1 through 4. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And just a reminder, if you would like to follow along with Pastor with your life notes and your gateway guide. Thank you. Isn't that amazing that even a sparrow has been provided a home? A sparrow is one of my favorite little birds. So compact, I've stated this before. So powerful, so streamlined. And so small in the scheme of things. And yet, God provided a home for the sparrow. In the same way, there's not a human being that God's intention is not for them to have a home. God intends for every human being to have a home. And mothers make up such an important part of the home. A few minutes ago when I was recognizing moms, we always recognize the youngest. And then I have to be very careful to recognize the most senior mom present. I didn't do that a few minutes ago. So I'd like to recognize now the most senior mom, in other words, the oldest mom present. And uh, if you are at least 80 years of age, would you mind standing so we can recognize you if you're at least 80 years of age? 
We have two right here. Let's recognize them both. Nat, if you could get another one there. God bless you. And the reason I'm recognizing you now, thank you so much, and once you get your carnation, you may be seated. The reason I'm recognizing you at this point is this. The mom who is the oldest, who's been being a mom for the most number of years, you have a perspective that other moms don't have. And I think the desire of your heart is the same of the youngest mom's heart. Because every mom desires a great home life. There's no mom who really has a mother's heart and spirit who doesn't want a great home life. Now my mom and dad were in business together at one point. They thought of together a great idea for a furniture store to sell home furnishings. And they wanted it to be a great place for husbands and wives and moms and dads to come in and pick out every piece of furniture for an entire home. And they wanted it to be some of the best. They worked really hard. They had to capitalize it. They dreamed about it. They thought about it. They scrimped and saved to make it happen. And they got together night after night thinking of what would be the name of this store. And so they came up with a name, a name they really liked. They named it the Dream House. Dream House Furniture. That's what it was. And many customers would come in. My mom and dad would travel to various states to look at all kinds of furniture, some of the best in the nation. And they would order it and it'd come back to the store and they would sell it. Dream House. Now many of you have heard the story of my family bringing, upbringing, and unfortunately, that dream house for the Brannans didn't last. Personally, there was a lot of pain and agony, ended in divorce. But praise God, it ended up in remarriage. So God can do miraculous things even in the worst of circumstances. If there's one thing that could make America different would be that people would stop focusing on a dream house and really start focusing on a dream home. Every house is not a home. Every home that's really a home is more valuable than a house. It doesn't matter if your house costs a half a million dollars and the furnishings in it cost a half a million dollars. If it's not a home, then it has very little value to human beings. Yeah, you can sit down on a sofa or a nice comfortable chair and watch a 145-inch screen on television. But if you don't have a home, the house is just a house. A home is what God intended. A home is what God wants for every human being. It is not God's plan that any child ever born not have a home with a mom and a dad. And we have to stop here and say thank God and praise God for many single moms and dads who for whatever reason are raising their children alone. They're walking the path with God. They're giving their all. They're giving leadership, love, and support. And God's blessing them. And those children are mightily blessed too because they have a mom or a dad like that. And there are many single moms in our society um, who need God's help and support. 
By the way, on your life notes, you'll find a few phrases there that are incomplete. And these were put there so you could fill in the blanks. They're not going to be on the screen. These are just fill in the blanks for you. So when I read it out, why don't you fill in the word and say it out loud, please. Home is where the heart is. As the home goes, so goes the nation. Is that true or not? We're seeing that in our nation today. A house is not a home till somebody makes it one. The problems of America are family problems multiplied a million fold. How wise that is and how true it is. Anybody happen to want to take a guess about who D.D.E. is? Dwight D. Eisenhower said this. The problems of America are family problems multiplied a million fold. And the final one. What do you think it is? Heaven help the home. Heaven help the home. Our home. We need help from heaven. Now you know you can read... Every kind of magazine you want to read. You can get an idea from a movie. You can Google home. You can read psychologists and psychiatrists about the home life. You can find 14,000 tips on being a good mom or a good dad or a good child. And over the 50 years I've been in ministry, I've read so many books and pamphlets and ideas about family life. And they're all good. I preached them many, many times over the years. But today's message is not about tips. It's about theology. What is theology? Theos, God. Logos, Word. The Word about God. When you study theology, you study God. When you study God, you find out what His Word, His words are about family life. Being a mom, being a dad, being a boy, being a girl, being a teenager, being single, being married, being a grandma, being a grandpa, being a grandchild. Theology makes all the difference in the world. Because God's Word stabilizes every home and every family member. But culture, now listen to me, culture is constantly destabilizing home life. You say, Pastor, are you sure about that? Well, let's look at two of the greatest destabilizers of human life and home life that are right now prevalent in America. Number one, abortion. The sanctity of human life is not accepted by millions of Americans, men and women. If there's anything more destabilizing to the human race It's a woman or a man who literally thinks it's okay to kill the baby in the womb. That's anti-God and anti-Christ, anti-Bible. And yet it's very popular. Politicians are running on it. Planned Parenthood makes millions of dollars doing it. There are millions of women who are deceived into thinking that it's okay. It's all right because society says it's all right. The other one that's destabilizing all of humanity 
is the false idea that God allows and okays the marriage of a man to a man and the marriage of a woman to a woman. When in the very beginning God's mind said, I'm creating a man for a woman and a woman for a man for one of three purposes. Here's only one of them. To populate the earth with human beings. One of the purposes of a relationship between a man and a woman in God's timing and God's blessing is to bring people into the world to make the world God's place to live. We fundamentally deformed the purpose of a human being and their sexuality as a man or a woman. God wants to bless every human being. He wants to bless every home. But the deceiver wants to blast every man and woman and blast every home. And why do you say, you might say, does Satan, the deceiver, want to blast us? Because he hates you. You say, now, Pastor, you're getting really radical now. I mean, I've never heard that before. Well, I can prove it. Why does Satan, the great deceiver, and that's his main purpose, hate you? Because God loves you. Anything God loves, the deceiver hates. Anything God promotes to build happiness and joy in a human being's life, the deceiver will try to destroy it, deconstruct it, deceive people about it. And he's really good at it too. He's amazingly good. It takes the power of God living in a person's mind who's a believer and heart and soul to see through the deception of the deceiver. Millions are easily deceived without the power of God's wisdom in their life. So today we're going to talk about the mom's role, the, God, the, the mom's power. Actually, I'm going to include the family in this, the theology of the family, the theology of being together. But first, let's stop for a moment and watch this brief video about mom life. And moms, you'll particularly appreciate this brief video about mom life. Hey, I see you, Mom. I see you waiting in the car line. I see you waking up early. Going the extra mile. Doing those little things you seldom get credit for. Yeah, I see you. I see you working the job. Running the errands. And cooking those meals. Or at least ordering the t- I see you. I even see what most of the world misses. The prayers, the thoughts. The quantum tasking. The working the job while planning the whole day. The whole week ahead. Only a mom could do this. Actively completing one task while the next four tasks are simultaneously being sorted out. I see you scoffing at the phrase, out of sight, out of mind. Knowing that phrase was definitely coined by a dad because that's not how moms do it. We don't get the gift of out of mind because who else would think about these things? Who else is going to worry if she's eating her veggies at school? Or how his friends treat him? Or how he treats his friends? Or if the permission slip was signed? Or if this F will be the straw that breaks the college scholarships back? Or if his future spouse is going to judge you for his dental hygiene? Or if... If you're giving your kids a good view of God. Or a bad view of God. Or view of God at all. You mean the God who created life? Who not only knows every hair on your head, but also knows what you're going to ask before you even speak a word. A loving parent who intimately knows their children. 
Sounds an awful lot like a mom, don't you think? I'd say you're a beautiful reflection of God's love. And maybe this is exactly the way you show God to your kids. These thoughts don't distract us from the job. It's what makes us awesome at it. Yeah, I see you, Mom. I see you. And God, God sees you. Amen. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. God sees you. God empowers you and enables you. And our purpose today is for us who are in the mom's family to see her, to love her, to appreciate her, and come alongside her in family life to really have a great family union and unity and love in the spirit of Jesus Christ who makes it possible for us to have a Christian family. So a moment ago I said, I'm not going to give you tips today, I'm going to give you theology. So let's get to it. What is the difference between uh, a great home and a great house? What's the difference? There are many great houses, there are few great homes. And there are some major reasons for the difference between the two. Now think for a moment. How could your house become a great home? Think for a moment. Isn't it more important for you to have a great home than a great house? God wants you to have a great home above all. And so there are four things quickly that I want you to see. And they all belong to the Ness family. Not Elliot Ness, that's another guy altogether. The Ness family. And you see the acrostic, home, H-O-M-E, at the bottom. So I'm going to give you four words. They all end in Ness. These are the theology topics that God wants us to have in our family life to enable us to have a great home. The first one is holiness. Holiness. Think for a minute with me. What does holy mean? Well, I don't want to be a holy Joe. I don't want to be a holy Josephine, some people say. But you know, if you are not a holy person, you're walking around every day shooting yourself in the foot because you're messing up your life and the lives of those around you. Holy is a very important word. It's a powerful word. It's a word we need to know. Did you know that when you became a Christian, you were given power by God to be holy? And the reason is that you and I are sinners. We can't overcome sin by ourselves. We need power from heaven to be a holy person. And actually, God made you holy when you became a Christian. Maybe you were 10 years old. You were made holy. Maybe you were 35. You were made holy. Maybe you became a believer at 70. You were made holy in God's eyes. And you received help to enable you to live the Christian life. And that help comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. Why do you think the Spirit is called holy? God's Holy Spirit, when He's able to work in a person's life, causes you to be holy, to overcome sin, and to win victories. And be the kind of person God wants you to be. Now it's your job, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn there with me. Got your Bible handy? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is your job. 
This is your part of the holiness of life, to be holy. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and notice what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. This is your job, your purpose, in your personal life and in your family life. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates what? Body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now you notice he said perfecting holiness. In other words, making holiness greater, stronger, better, more intense, more passionate, making it mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, personal, at home, at work, on, in sports, in music, in entertainment, in what you put into your body, how you look at life, become a holy person. Now the word holy is very interesting. In the Greek language it's called agios or agiazo, and it means to cut, to separate, When you became a Christian, you became a holy being, and for the rest of your life, you're being taught to perfect, increase, improve your holiness and your habits and attitudes by separating yourself from what? From your unholiness, from your unholy thinking, unholy habits, unholy attitudes. Separate yourself by cutting them away from yourself. As a Christian for many years, I've gone through a lot of cuts. Sometimes those cuts would grow back and I'd have to cut them off. Every day I try to go over to Calusa Park near my home. Right now, they're building a whole new walking course and they're adding some, what they call the ninja course. These are about 15 difficult procedures or exercises to do along the line of a ninja, they say. I've been trying to figure out what they're going to be like. I haven't been able to figure it out yet. They're not all done yet. But at the park, they also are sprucing up the park. One of my favorite reasons for going to Calusa Park is the stand of pine trees, because I grew up in Georgia. I love pine trees. We had pine trees in my backyard. I love to watch them. love to see them, smell them. They're Fantastic trees. So the other day when I was there, they had a huge truck with a huge lift. And they were pruning and separating sick limbs, weak limbs, heavy limbs, diseased limbs from the top to the bottom of the pine tree. They were making that tree holy. They were cutting off and separating from it everything that would bring it down, make it sick, pollute it, and cause it problems. And the Bible says in your family life, you are to be holy and perfecting holiness because you bring pollution to your family when you're not holy. You have polluted thinking, polluted habits of the body, polluted mentality, polluted spirit. You might not even recognize it. You might think you're perfectly healthy until God somehow can get through to you and point out to you that you're not living a holy life. Many problems are caused in family by unholy living by one or more members of the family. So the Bible tells us to live a holy life, to cut and separate 
what prevents us from living a holy life. Number one, when you live a holy life, you eliminate danger to other members of your family. When I was a boy, being the oldest in the family, for some reason, I had it very much on my mind that I was to protect my younger brother. I was not let to let anything dangerous happen to him. It was one of my goals, even then as a boy. But when you become unholy, you can drag other people into your sins. You can, by your own example, be a sinner in front of them, giving the appearance that it's okay to sin. But once you are holy and you start cutting things away from your life that are unholy, you're protecting your family. Secondly, to be holy promotes growth. Many times a Christian will grow in the family when they see another family member growing in their spiritual life. You know, like reading their Bible for five minutes. That's not much, but at least it's something. Praying every day. Saying spiritual things. Living the Christian life. You don't take the dollar if it's not yours. You don't lie. You tell the truth. You don't play the games of the world. You're not playing a game. You're living a life. You're a holy person. You're living the holiness. You're perfecting that holiness. And not only that, number one, it eliminates danger and promotes growth, but it creates beauty. There's nothing more beautiful than to have a family who's in love with God and each other. When I think back on my family life I grew up with, in there's so many years there were smiles and hugs and happiness trips and joys sitting around the table we'd pray and we'd have delicious food we'd get up and enjoy each other's company and have fun until that ended because of unholiness then there was pain shouting and lying and cheating unhappiness pain suffering division and breakup That's what unholiness does. It divides a family. H, holiness. What's the letter O for? Orderliness. Another Ness family member. Orderliness. In other words, to put your life in order before God. What does that mean, put it in order? Put God first. For the average person, I could even say almost the average Christian, God, in the order of priority, is about number eight. I'll get around to it when I can. I'm too busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I've got this. I've got that. God can wait till later. That means your life is out of order. Out of order. And when a life is out of order, that brings that disorder into the family life as well. God told Hezekiah, the king, to set his house in order because his life was going to end. Hezekiah prayed before God and God granted him an extra 15 years. Probably not going to happen to us. But God says, get your life in order because you don't know how much time you have left. Because, listen to me now, disorder steals time from your life. You say, what do you mean steals time? Who can steal time? Here's what I mean. Instead of putting God first in your life, you decide to do it your own way. So you spend months, we'll just say 18 months. We'll say you spend 18 months.
trying to do it your own way, and then you realize, man, this is, this is not working. I'm going to go to God and pray and get my life right with God. But what happened to the 18 months? It was stolen from you because you allowed disorder to be the order of your life. And the Bible says to keep your life in order, keep the priorities right, and make them happen right. H-O. Holiness, orderliness. Well, what do you think the M is? Mindfulness. Mindfulness. In other words, have your mind focused on God. And when you do, your brain and your mouth will work together, for example. Turn over to James chapter 1. You're in 2 Corinthians, turn to the right, and you'll see how being mindful of who you are and what you say work together. Mindful, James chapter 1, and notice what God says about having a mind that guides what you say and do. Look there with me at verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger, that that means mankind, man and woman. For man and woman's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Save you what? Save you from having mental lapses, moral lapses, mental weakness. By the way, do you know the one way that Satan, the deceiver, is able to deceive so many? Mental weakness. Mental incapacity. When I say that, I mean that a Christian is a person who is with God as you know His Word. And a Christian who doesn't know the Word, doesn't have a Bible, doesn't read a Bible, doesn't worship God through the Bible and its truths, you're mentally insufficient. Oh, you may feel something. You can jump higher than the next guy. You can shout amen louder than anybody else. You can talk the talk. But unless you know the Word, you're mentally insufficient. Now you say, well, Pastor, man, you're kind of getting kind of direct this morning. Yeah, I know. Because family's worth it. Family is worth fighting for. Marriage is worth fighting for. Being a good kid is worth fighting for. A good mom, a good dad is worth fighting for. And family is worth fighting for. The nation's worth fighting for. Christianity's worth fighting for. And we're in a battle. This is no Sunday school picnic we're on. We're in a spiritual battle right now for the souls and hearts of mankind. Now, you may not be aware of that. You probably are. But if you're not, you've missed the whole thing that's happening in our world. There's a battle going on and you need to be mentally aware and sharp for the battle. First, holiness. Secondly, orderliness. M, mindfulness. And finally, evenness. Evenness. Or we might say, another way to put it is levelness. Or being level. Being level. Let me go back to Calusa Park. Okay, you say, Pastor, go on. Here I go. I'm back at Calusa. All those changes going on. So they're building a new road there. 
And what they've done is they've graded it and they've put the dirt there for the foundation and then this huge rolling pan comes along. You ever seen those? You've seen them, haven't you? What's on the front of that machine? Huge roller pan. Huge. What's on the back end of it? A smaller one. So they put all the grade there. They put the dirt there. They put it, the road, by the way, is 10 feet wide, at least 10 feet. So this guy sitting up on the perch, driving that big machine, rumbling along like a tank, he's packing that down. He's leveling that road. He's making it walkable, usable. And it has to be done. If it's not packed, fortified, leveled, it's going to wash away when the rains come. It's going to be torn up by dirt bike riders who go over there. So I walk on it. I like walking on it the way it feels. It's firm, it's strong, and it's level. And that's what has to happen to us in our life because we need to level our lives and level the paths for each other. For example, you need to level the path to someone in your family who's done you wrong. So they can come to you and you can go to them. It may be that you need to go to them and say, will you forgive me? Or maybe you need to say to them, I forgive you. It's hard. It's godly. It's not, it's not popular. But it's godly. Or maybe you need to go on a level path and say, you know, I've been, I've been dishonest with you. I've been, I've been saying stuff and doing stuff and it's just not right anymore. I can't, I can't keep on doing this. You're making the path level. Or you might need to go to somebody and say, you know, I've been holding out on you. you know, I know you're giving me all your love and I'm feeling it too. I'm, I'm, I've been receiving so long from you, but I don't give. I don't return it. I want to make the path level. I want us to give and take with each other. I want to be real. I want to be a caring person. I want to be a compassionate member of the family. I want to care. I want to be godly. I want to be holy. I want to be orderly. I want to be mindful. I want things to be even so our family can go forward. Our family can make progress. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I say to you, if you will take these theological truths, they're not tips. They're theological truths. They're so real and so true. If you'll take them to heart, I'll guarantee you that you will become a great family member and your house will become a home and you will be a great home, G-R-E-A-T, and it will not be a great, G-R-A-T-E. What does that mean, great? You rub against somebody. I think there was a horrible movie not long ago put out called The Grindhouse. That's what a lot of families do. They grind and grind and grind. They grate on each other. That's not the kind of house God wants. God wants a great house, loving house. And I'll tell you what, it'll put a song in your heart. It'll put love in your spirit. And I want to close my message 
You can say an amen. I'm going to close this message with this true story because living for Christ will put a song in your heart. This is a story about a woman named Karen. This is a true story. She found out that she was going to have another baby and uh, she was so excited about being pregnant again. She had a three-year-old son named Michael. So they were preparing him for the new baby that was to come and uh, they uh, found out that the new baby is going to be a girl. So they're preparing for this baby girl to come to be a sister to the little brother. And so uh, night after night, little Michael goes in and he sings into his mommy's tummy to his little sister. But then something bad happened. The mom got very sick. Complications sat in, came in, and it looked for a while as if uh, she might not be able to have that baby. Uh, The baby may not come and be able to be delivered. But she made it to delivery day, but they could not make the delivery happen in hours of labor. They're thinking about a C-section. And uh, finally, with the C-section, the little sister is born, but she's in serious near-death condition. And uh, they did everything in their power to save the little girl at St. Mary's Hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it was just coming coming around every day. She's not going to make it today. She's not going to make it today. The days go by just moment by moment. They drag on. Everybody's so discouraged about what was happening. And the doctors tell her, tell them finally, there's no hope. She's, she's not going to make it. She's going to lose her life. But Michael, Michael keeps saying, let me go see her. Let me go see her. Let me go. Let me go in there. And the doctors say, no, no, son, you can't go in. And his mom and dad say, no, 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 you can't go in there. You don't don't want to see her like this. But he keeps on nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging. And finally, his mother, unbeknownst to the doctors, puts him in his costume from head to toe all covered so he won't catch anything or give anything to the baby. He looks like a walking antiseptic machine. And he goes in there, and as soon as he gets up to the baby, the doctor sees him and starts yelling at him, Get out of here! Get out of here! Then Mama steps up. You take one more step, I'm going to level you, Doc. He's come in here to say something to his sister. And so, he does. Little Michael gets there. He goes right up beside her. And uh, he bends down, this little three-year-old Michael, and he begins to sing. You are my sunshine. Keeps on singing. You are my sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. He keeps on singing. You are my sunshine. And suddenly the little girl kind of twitches. And suddenly her signals, her vital signs start picking up. Little Michael keeps on singing. You are my sunshine. Please don't take my sunshine away. And the little girl's vital signs pick up and they actually zoom toward normal. This is a true story, by the way. They zoom to normal. She recovers. It's a family. It's a great family. Because there's a song in the little boy's heart. He loves his sister. And that's what we need to learn, isn't it? To love one another, to be holy, be orderly, to be mindful. 
and to be even. May God help us to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we know and you know how we so desperately need this theology to love you and serve you and love the people we live with. Lord, we want there to be music. We want there to be happiness. So help us to take the steps to perfect our own personal holiness so we can contribute peace, love, joy, and happiness to the family. And may we make a decision today in our heart of hearts to be that kind of a family member. And we thank you for your mighty word in Jesus' name. Amen. And may God bless the teaching of his word this morning. Now, if you will, please put your Bible aside for a moment and take your gateway guide in your hand. And Natalie's going to come.